Hey, 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 Soul Tribe. Welcome back. This is episode 2.1 of Beyond Deconstructing. I am your host, T. Jamaica Pogue, affectionately known as Deconstructing Neuro. And I cannot express to you how excited I am to be back for season two and to welcome you all back. And if you're new, welcome. Thank you for joining me. I'm so appreciative for you guys. I want to start by thanking everyone who listened to the first season, provided feedback, was a guest on it, anybody who helped in any way. I can't thank you enough. The last couple of months, I took a break and I needed that break for my own mental, physical, and emotional health. But even though I wasn't making content regularly and I wasn't recording or um, releasing new podcasts or even vlog episodes, didn't mean that I wasn't working. Didn't mean that the wheels weren't turning in the background because they definitely were. And I have several projects that are coming out over the next couple of months, several projects that have already been launched and some changes in format that I'm going to be doing with the podcast that I'm super, super excited about. And I'm thankful to have you guys along for the journey. So I'm going to start off with some updates. So the first project that I'm working on that has already been soft launched, it's I call it a soft launch because I haven't done like a a ton of advertising for it and I'm still kind of fine tuning certain things with it. But I launched an online store called the Noro Spicy Bodega, which is actually the sponsor of today's episode. You guys are going to get a little ad in a little bit. Just as a heads up, (laughs) but I launched the Neural Spicy Bodega. It's an online store with all original designs that highlight or speak to aspects of the neurodivergent identity, especially and particularly autism and ADHD. So the different collections under the banner of the Neural Spicy Bodega are all designed to speak to certain aspects of of neurodivergence. You know, there's so much that I wanted to convey through this line, and I'm super proud of how the designs have come out so far. I feel like they speak to me and my aesthetic while also speaking to the neurodivergent community as a whole. So super proud of that. Hope you guys go over and check it out. It's the neurospicybodega.com. And I'm going to actually throw it over to me to give you guys a little bit more information about today's sponsor. Step into a world where fashion meets neurodiversity, where your uniqueness is celebrated with style and flair. Welcome to the Neural Spicy Bodega, where we're all about embracing your neural spicy identity in the most fashionable way possible. Picture this, the Spicy Spectrum Collection, a burst of colors celebrating the beautiful diversity of the neurodivergent experience. Or how about the Mono Spice Collection, where minimalist elegance makes a bold and serene statement? And don't miss the iconic Bodega Collection, a heartfelt homage to the haven that is noise-canceling headphones for those of us with sensory sensitivities. Whether you're on the spectrum, embracing minimalism, or seeking solace in sensory protection, the Neurospice Bodega has something for everyone. Join us in celebrating the multifaceted nature of neurodiversity. Wear your story with pride and make a statement that's uniquely you. That's a special thank you for being part of the Beyond Deconstructing family. Enjoy $10 off your first order of $50 or more using promo code BEYOND. And don't forget to sign up for the Neural Spicy Bodega mailing list to be the first to know about new releases and promotions. Visit the NeuralSpicyBodega.com today and let your style speak volumes about your incredible Neural Spicy identity.
get into it, yeah. Get into it, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's the Neuro Spicy Bodega. And head on over there immediately. Make sure you're using that promo code and grab your gear today. Um, but beyond the Neuro Spicy Bodega, I also started writing a book. And it's called The Neuro Spicy Dictionary. And what encouraged me to write that book is a lot of conversations that I was having with both people within the neurodivergent and autistic community and outside of it and realizing the areas of disconnect when it comes to us trying to communicate what is really going on within the the autistic community to people who just don't understand what autism truly is. And over the last few years, my mission with deconstructing neurodivergence wasn't even just to deconstruct how neurodivergence is seen in our society and also deconstruct my own experience as a late diagnosed autistic ADHD neurodivergent person, but also to understand the other side too. So being able to connect, okay, so if this is how I'm thinking and this is how I'm communicating and this is what happened when I communicated to someone who doesn't have the same neurotype as me, pretty much working backwards to figure out like what's going on on the other side, how they communicate, how is the most, what is the most effective way to communicate information to them in a way that they will receive it. And pretty much being on that mission for over two years now helped to inform the, the lens from which I should frame this information. So the Neurospicy Dictionary is uh, it's not a traditional dictionary. It's full of terms and definitions for terms, but it also includes anecdotes and, and practical ways where you can apply those terms to people, and they're not just abstract words. Um, it, it plays on holistic people's need to have emotion tied to information. Like, that is one of the biggest things that I unlocked is the difference between how autistic people receive information and how allistic people receive information. And the biggest difference is emotion. If you can evoke an emotion from an allistic person while providing them with information, that is the way that you're going to get them to actually care and also retain that information. Whereas a lot of autistic people, we require information for something to actually like make us care or make us uh, think about it or for it to affect us in a certain way. So it's kind of the opposite. Like we start to care about something once we have more information about it and it, it makes sense and we can see the logic in it. Now we can grasp it. Now we can hold on to it. Now it's something that we can apply. Whereas on the other side, they won't apply it or like see the logic in it until it's something that affects them personally. Like it makes them feel something, it evokes an emotion or it sparks some kind of connection between something else that they already care about. And understanding that key difference is why I feel like um, the, the lens that I'm using and the way that I'm presenting this information in this book is going to help us reach across the aisle. And there are so many people within the autistic community who are more educated than me, who have been doing this a lot longer, who have written amazing works that have inspired me and have inspired the entire community. But one thing that I have noticed throughout, like a, a common thread, is that a lot of these works are written by neurodivergent people 
for neurodivergent people. And they're not really reaching across the aisle. They're giving us a lot of information. It's very well researched. It's very well supported. But again, like I was saying, autistic people more or less are going to be the ones that really want all that extra information. They want the extra details. They want to see that it's supported by by research and facts and and that makes that that helps it to have more weight with us. But again, it's because it's something that personally affects us and a lot of us have bottom up thinking. When you're trying to reach across the aisle and speak to a group of people who are not personally affected or who don't believe that they are personally affected by autism, ADHD, or other neurodivergencies, if you have any hope of getting them to care enough to try to understand and have a perspective shift, you have to start to speak their language. And uh, again, that's that's basically the the angle that I'm taking with the Neurospicy Dictionary is to present these terms that have become more prevalent in our common lex in our in our modern lexicon where we're talking about neurodivergence and we're talking about autism and we're talking about ADHD and executive dysfunction and autistic meltdowns and and other phrases and terms that fall under ne- the, the umbrella of neurodivergence like dyscalculia or um alexithymia, like all of these different terms that are being thrown out there within the community that we understand because a lot of us have done our own research and have made ourselves experts in the matter. We can't expect people who are not autistic or are not neurodivergent who don't rem- who don't recognize that they are or maybe have some internalized ableism or it just doesn't personally affect them. We can't expect for them to care as much as we do. But if we want them to be more understanding and have some kind of perspective shift, again, we're going to have to speak their language. And so um, this is a project I've been working on for a while, and I'm super proud of how it's turning out. Um, I am hopeful to have pre-sales open by the middle of November and have it um, out by the beginning of the year. But y'all going to have to hold me to that because y'all know I got a million and one things going on. Um, If you've been following me (laughs) on social media, you know that I wear many, many hats. So um, if you don't hear me talk about it in the next couple of weeks, I need somebody to be like, um, T. Uh, don't think we forgot that you told us that you were <laughs> working on the Neural Spicy Dictionary. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of it. And I'm so excited to share that with you guys. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing you to a remarkable individual who's been making waves challenging norms, and inspiring countless individuals along the way. Tatum, known in the digital realm as Tatum, has shot to fame, or perhaps infamy to some, as an unapologetic and vocal proponent for disability rights. Hailing from the Appalachian region, Tatum is not just an artist, she's a force of nature. As an autistic individual and ADHD advocate, she's been carving her own path, unearthing the beauty in her neurodiversity, while fiercely advocating for others like her. But her activism doesn't stop at the neurodiversity door. She's also a staunch anti-capitalist activist, challenging the structures that often marginalize those who are different. Her journey is a testament to the power of self-education and self-expression. As an autodidact, she started her own course, gaining knowledge and insights that have made her a formidable force in the disability rights movement. 
And when she speaks, she doesn't just speak for herself. She represents a vibrant community, proudly identifying with the autistic banner. So today I'm honored to have Tatum on the show, sharing her experiences, insights, and unapologetic perspectives on disability rights, neurodiversity, and the fight against oppressive systems. So without further ado, let's dive into this enlightening conversation with the indomitable Tatum. And I thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh, that was such an amazing intro. Like not me welling up on the podcast <laughs> already. Thank you so much for your kind words. I'm honored to be here. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And I wouldn't be able to craft those words if it weren't for your actual experience that informed them. So thank you again for coming. And I'm excited to share your story with my audience and, and ask you a little bit more about the work that you do. Uh, but before we even jump into that, I want to give you the opportunity to share your unique experience with how you came to understand that you are neurodivergent, in particular that you are ADHD. Absolutely. So... I I try to guess like a single event that led to this, but it, it was truly like a rolling down the hill faster and faster every day, a series of events that led me to series of realizations. So I would have to say like when like right when the pandemic began in March 2020, my job was closed down for two months. And it was the first time kind of in my adult life that I like everything was caught up and I was getting paid money to stay home like like some of us were and like I got to I got to sit with myself and kind of let the dust settle a little bit and breathe and I you know did a lot of escapist things playing animal crossing you know social media here and there but my big thing was TikTok uh TikTok was like I would always watch TikToks at night laying down to go to bed like I would save them throughout the day and then watch them later at night and the frightening accuracy of TikTok's algorithm is no joke, dude. It's no joke because it got me, gal. It got me. I slowly but surely was seeing more and more content from people who were vocally describing my innermost experiences that I have never shared out loud with anyone and putting like referencing them as being like neurodivergent. I heard that word for the first time and I'm like, what? Neurodivergent? And then I Googled it. I'm like, ADHD? That doesn't make sense. I can pay attention. Like thinking of all the times that I've hyper-focused on something and got it done, you know, grinding it for nine hours, thinking that was attention. Um, like it just kept getting more and more specific. And the more and more specific it got, the more I decided to take it upon myself to like dive in and read about it for myself and follow creators on TikTok who talked about it openly that a lot of them fell through the cracks. A lot of adult women, a lot of adult femme presenting folks, a lot of black folks, a lot of brown folks, a lot of just adult age humans who were dismissed as anything but autistic. Um, and the ADHD realization came first for me. I, it took me like five months from start to finish to begin a doctor's process and get the diagnosis. And it was, it was kind of a hellish handful of months because I had been doing legwork on my own, taking self-assessments and really looking back on my life and clicking things into place that didn't make sense before, but ADHD explained so much of it. Um, and then in July, 2021, I got my ADHD diagnosis, started medication there. And then a handful of months down the road, the medication was kind of tampering my ADHD traits, but there were traits that remained and that emerged that ADHD didn't explain, 
but I just thought that they were like just a me thing, TM symbol. And then, mm. of course, TikTok roped me in again with the whole like, oh, you you thought life was cool because you have ADHD and you found that out. Kapsh, gets hit in the pay- face with a pillow and it's like autism. And I'm like, wait, don't do this to me again. I just got finished. Like, I just cracked the code. What do you mean there's more, bitch? Like, so I did eight months of like work this time because holy shit, the things like... I didn't realize how much my autism and my ADHD affected one another until I realized what each of them were and how each of them presented. Because it's hard for me to hammer down what is an ADHD trait and what is an autistic trait. I think mm-hmm. they, they, they affect each other and there's a lot of overlap in the, in the way that you're affected by it. And it's a whole mess, right? But I tried and failed horribly and notoriously um, to get an autism diagnosis. Um, And I posted about that shitty experience on Twitter and it went viral. And that's sort of how all of this started. But like in the, in the year and some change that that's been, I have been confirmed autistic by a neuro peer, but it's not like an official medical model diagnosis. Um, And I don't know if I'll ever seek one of those because of just the socioeconomic barriers in place and the subsequent discrimination and, dehumanization and infantilization that would inevitably occur because people don't understand what autism is still. But I'm sort of at a place in my journey where like I'm at peace with not having it on paper. It doesn't change anything. I've always been this way and having it on my chart doesn't do anything really except have it on my chart, you know? Absolutely. Well, firstly, thank you for sharing your journey. I'm not, I was over here nodding along because I'm like, so much yes. of your journey <laughs> really resonates <laughs> with me, especially like firstly understanding ADHD first and then it leading down the yes. trail of autism. Um, but I actually want to piggyback off of the last point you made about like seeking an official diagnosis, it not being easy and then realizing or settling on the fact that where you are now, it kind of wouldn't be of a benefit to keep pursuing that. Um, so we talk about like, we're both in in America. We understand mm-hmm. that there are so many things that are wrong with our healthcare system, wrong with the way that we look at things, um, you know, from a community standpoint, like there's no real community. Um, so yeah. um, the intersectionality of your advocacy not only um, fought, like advocates for neurodiversity, but it also challenges those oppressive systems like capitalism. So how do these two aspects of your activism intersect and why is it important to address them together? Oh man, I wish I had like five mouths because that just sprouted off like five simultaneous conversations about this. My God, it is all connected at every turn. It's like, okay, let me, let me wrangle it in potato, wrangle it in. Like, every time I try to speak about one, just one facet, because you can only speak about one thing at a time before you get to the next one, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm speaking about disability, I get a lot of whataboutisms about capitalism. And I'm like, oh, well, that too, they're connected. And like, for a lot of people who try to, who try to um, d- debate me on that or refute me on that, the conversation will stop there because they can't fathom that all of these nuances and all these intersectionalities take place at once, but they absolutely do. And 
Capitalism in and of itself. Oh Lord, you done got me started on capitalism. Here we go. The fans coming <laughs> no, out. I'm please, already getting hot. Yes. Okay, okay, we're doing this. We're doing it. So capitalism is oil and empathy is water. They do not mix and they never will. There's no room for empathy, compassion, or passion in capitalism, period. Um, mm-hmm. so that let's start there. Yes. <laughs> let's yes. start the fuck there. Ugh. Oh my goodness. No, I completely agree. I swear, like, I feel like when I try to explain things, like actually just recently I was having um, a conversation, um, my siblings and my mom and I, we have, we're trying to do these like um, regularly, like family meetings or whatnot. And so far I'm the only one in my family that has owned the No Divergent label. My mom, Mm. she's like really thinking about like she thinks she she tells me that a lot of things that I'm talking about she listens to the podcast she follows me on TikTok and it's starting to resonate yes. with her too um but none of them are like claiming it like I um so when I was trying mm. to explain to them how like white supremacy is like literally the father of all of the isms <laughs> my brother 100%. literally he literally was like, um, you know, I don't really believe in conspiracy theories. And I was like, so you take me connecting dots that on the surface, because you're looking at it from a surface level. And I took the mm-hmm. time to look one level below and saw yes. how they all connect. And that was immediately clicked in his mind that it was a conspiracy theory because he couldn't see how it easily fit, fit together. And it didn't make sense in his mm-hmm. mind until I broke it down for him further. And we ended that conversation on a better note. But when he Good. said that, it triggered me. I was like, are you, mm. it's not a conspiracy theory. I'm t- I can literally lay out for you point by point how this and this, yes. they may look like they're on separate ends, but once you meet in the middle, you see they have the same origin. And, but what mm-hmm. that did was, is it opened my eyes to how, like, basically how other people see us when we're saying these things, like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist because it can't, like, they feel like two things can't be true at the same time, and I don't get it. That's maddening. That's absolutely maddening. You don't even have to look that much further. That's the gag. Like, look, like, take one, two, three extra steps, and then you won't be able to stop because it's right here. It's all hiding in plain sight. And capitalism is a snake eating itself. It has us levied against each other with, with, with shit that doesn't matter. All these culture wars and bullshit that they're throwing in our face to try to make, make us look over here when, when we're being all collectively driven into the ground. Like it doesn't take much to just look and people are afraid to, to, to rock their own boat. They're afraid to have to question everything they know to be true they're they're going along to get along like it's all a charade it's all a facade like the system is not built for neurodivergent or disabled people it's really not built for anybody but the eight dudes up top running it but a lot of people are good at pretending because we feel like we have to absolutely we like our society literally does not take care of us if we don't it doesn't take care of us when we do but the more you Mm -hmm. feed into it or the more you buy into it and you tie your identity to it the more protections you have within the system because of course it wants to self-perpetuate itself and keep itself running but that's Mm -hmm. why we are the um the thorn in the side of pretty much any oppressive system because we're the truth tellers and we're the mirrors Mm -hmm. that reflect back to society all the ways that it's not working not only for us but for for society at large and that's why I really appreciate like voices like you you're like I 
so I'm coming out of people pleasing personally and um same yes I feel you <laughs> but I, I feel like I can learn and a lot of people can learn a lot from you for um how just um on a, on a, it, it comes across as unapologetic, but not as like I'm unapologetic and rude, but like I am not going to apologize for the fact that I exist and that I am taking up space and that I am calling you out. And that is so inspiring to me. And actually, that's one of the things that I was asking about. So you're known, I, you're, you're becoming known for your unapologetic and your fierce, your fierce activism. What advice would you give to other people who want to become advocates that might feel hesitant or unsure? about speaking out yeah god that's such it's it's such it's just this shit is so scary like you hit it on the head like also recovering people pleaser i i am like two and a half some years into doing like serious like inner child work trauma work shadow work to try to declutter 30 years of shit right but Mm. it's still there of course it's in my it's a groove that's been grooved upon for 30 some odd years. It, it, I have to manually override it a lot still. But in, in learning about my neurodivergence in the way that I learned about it and how I was sort of launched into this role as an advocate because my story about my shitty psychiatrist went viral and it, it, it put the microphone in my hand and I was just like, oh, okay, let me just say all this stuff that, that happened to me. And people were like, yeah, that fucking sucks. Like, yeah, that happened to me too. Yeah, worse happened to me. And commiserating with that. That in and of itself is so incredibly validating and simultaneously maddening and simultaneously heartbreaking and infuriating that I experienced this and that people can experience this and worse. And that in and of itself is the fuel that that gets my ass out of bed in the morning. And my need to be liked used to rule my life. It used to be at the center of everything I fucking did because like growing up in a, in a household that, you know, wasn't necessarily stable. You know, we were in poverty, you know, I experienced, you know, neglect and abuse and didn't know it was neglect and abuse until I was like 28 years old. Um, it, it, it sort of forced me into a shell. It forced me into being anyone but me. So when I learned about all this stuff, all these bells started being rung that couldn't be unrung. My need to like share my story and be like, yeah, guys, this is bullshit. Here's what happened. And hearing that back from people, that is far more important to me than being liked will be ever again, ever again. And like being a people pleaser is so terrifying to step away from. Like I didn't learn how to swim till I was like 19 and I would always just cling to the side of the pool and I wouldn't go if the water like came up to my chin, I wouldn't go any further that. And I just me clinging to that pool for life was me like clinging on to that people pleasing shit that used to keep me alive, like as a survival tactic. It wasn't just like a whim or like a quirk. Like I had to develop it. Like I'm resilient out of necessity. Mm. I had to be. Um, so when I started overriding the shit and getting through this shit and learning what fuels me instead of being liked is of sharing my truth and sharing my story and giving other people opportunity to do the same. That has to be at the center of what you do. Like if you are a people pleaser, or if you have people pleasing tendencies in any way, it is just, it is so monumentally important. It's as important as it is hard as it is painful and necessary to truly put down the need to be liked because 
if you are really what you're about, standing 10 toes down for what you believe in, the wrong people will quickly see themselves out. They will, the trash will take itself out. Mm-hmm. And those of those that like to like remain just to play devil's advocate, you don't have to placate them. The block button is my best friend. And the people who agree with you, the people who resonate with you, the people who are like being awakened and enlightened by what you're saying will come to you and you'll build community that actually cares about you as a person instead of what you can do for them. So it's just as beneficial for me to find this community and to speak out on this shit as it is for these people to hear it and resonate with it. It's so symbiotic. That is such salient advice, especially uh, the point that you made about like having to focus on what you what fuels you as opposed to what you're afraid of. Your people pleasing comes from being afraid of not being liked. And that comes from a variety of different areas, especially within, I would say, us as AFAD, late diagnosed, um, high masking uh, people. It comes from being told that you're not acceptable the way you are. You're too loud. You're too direct. You're too this, that, and the other. Right. Um, But a lot of the. A lot of times fear, that fear is like our lizard brain. It just like stays right there and it overrides the hope and the love and the passion. And um, I really yes. appreciate you sharing that because I think that that is really, really helpful advice. I think we too, we get, we just get too afraid of being seen. I speak it for myself here. Too afraid of being seen mm. because when you were seen before you were ridiculed and that ridicule hurts. Yes. Like we're, we're not going to act like being rejected doesn't hurt. Um, but yeah. if you're going to be authentic, if you're going to create change, you got to shake things up. You got to make people uncomfortable. And ultimately, it means they're not going to like you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I've accepted it. It is what it is. Like, I'm kind of making up for lost time with some of this stuff. Like, my boundaries are strong. <laughs> That's good. And I mean, you need to have that because as an activist, you're you're likely to have encountered that resistance and opposition. So um, mm. with that being said, I know you kind of already touched on it, but like, how do you navigate other than like the block button um, and response to criticism or pushback while also staying true to your mission and values? I. Man. I think like. It's so easy to think that I'm always doing well, but then I look back and I remember three days ago I was upset at something someone said. Like, I'm not pretending to be like some impenetrable wall of fuck off if you don't agree. Like, I have ADHD. I get emotionally dysregulated. I get really upset and really hurt and really triggered still by shit that people say to me. But that's when I have to, like, walk away Like I've, I've stopped, like part of me undoing my people pleasing is part of learning when to put the damn phone down instead of being like, oh, if I just, if I just clarify, if I just make an amendment here, if I just respond to this person so they don't think I'm ignoring them, like, fuck all that. Like it's impossible to do both. It's impossible to be both. You can't both please everybody and then make everybody think because part of making everybody think is involving them doing some work. And if they're not asking for it and they're not interested in it, they're going to be defensive and sometimes even combative and compounded with whatever the hell else they believe in. But as far as navigating undue criticism and like sideways takes from actors in bad faith, I've put down my need to have to defend myself and have to get the last word. Mm. And Sometimes I just block them and move on. Every once in a while, if someone is especially like 
shysty and like sideways and just says some off the wall shit. I have to, I have to, it it like fuels my pettiness. I have to be a little bit petty sometimes with the shit that's said to me. I think I've earned a little bit of pettiness. So I screenshot (laughs) it and I'm just like, this person said blah, 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 blah. blah." And uh, I feel like they aren't expecting that. And then they start to get pushback from people who care about me and who think it's bullshit what they said. And it's usually something ableist, misogynist, racist, boot-breathed, like just diametrically everything I'm against. And the people in my life don't stand for that shit either. So I have to temper that too, though, because that can be like a dopamine rush kind of Mm. of being like this asshole is calling me all of these horrible names on my content and thinks that I'm not going to say anything like they expect you not to. And then they get all defensive and altruistic and pacified when you do say something. Well, what happened to the tolerant left to that? I say, bitch, where anywhere did I say I was tolerant? I don't have to be tolerant, especially (laughs) of you. Goodbye. (laughs) Next. But I know it sounds so like easy said, done, stamp, boom, but it's not, and it's not perfect. I'm like still up and down and still need to be grounded and brought back to like objective reality instead of whatever spiral shaped thought my emotions are trying to send me down. And that's easier said than done too, but I have an amazing partner who's also late discovered ADHD and we sort of help each other through a lot of that shit. So that has been just like, crucial to everything that I'm doing now too is my partner PJ. I love him so much. That's awesome. Yes. That support system is much needed, not just within like the, the greater community, but like in your personal life. Um, yes. Because yeah, there's so many people who they come out of the woodworks, they play the troll role and they don't even really know what's going on, but I love mm-hmm. that. Um, and then within your advocacy, often it, advocating often um, involves confronting stereotypes and misconceptions. So not only do you have to combat people who are just straight up dismissing you or saying rude things, but like, like, what are some of the common misconceptions about neurodiversity and disability as a whole that you've encountered? um, And then kind of how is your work challenging that? Or what would you like other people to do to help you or or join you in in that work? Absolutely. Um, I think that and I'm not trying to be like anything but just direct. And I'm just saying this directly uh, existing as an openly autistic and outspoken autistic adult confuses a lot of people. And sometimes they conflate that confusion with. Uh, it's like conflated with fear. And then they act irrationally toward that person instead of hearing that person and listening to their lived experience I've had people tell me I should have a handler. People tell me I should be under a conservatorship. I should be locked away in a psych ward. Like just, just for speaking my truth and my peace. And that opened my eyes. Like I went through a big thing this summer where this pseudo celebrity country star from the early aughts with almost a million Twitter followers quote tweeted and shared some of my content referring to me being immunocompromised during an ongoing pandemic and the loneliness involved with that and just me kind of venting about that a little bit. And I got the, sorry, my cat is climbing me right now. Come on, picky. He wants to be involved in this conversation. And that sent a lot of bullshit my way. And it 
gave me kind of an understanding on how far we still have to come with people accepting that disabled people fucking exist. Like, excuse us, right? And I get a lot of, you don't look disabled. I get a lot of, you can't be autistic. You can make eye contact with the camera when you're filming alone in your living room. Them not realizing that in conversations with people IRL, I can either make eye contact with you or I can listen to what you're saying. You're not going to get both. Rarely will you get both. (laughs) And that's just the reality of it. But like, because I'm not a cishet male and because they can't see my disability with their eyeballs, then it must not be real. That just, oh my gosh, my brain is going down a hole. We're going there. So it boggles me and it pisses me off because even before I knew I was autistic and disabled and ADHD, I was still getting pushed back and gaslit and dismissed from doctors and medical professionals. So like, it's not just a disability knowledge needs to be a thing. It's knowledge about AFAB and femme presenting bodies. And I found out within the last year or so that, and this blew my mind wide open. It ex- I, my brain exploded when I knew that, when I found out this, that women and minorities in the U.S. were not required to be included in clinical research until 1993. I was waddling around in diapers while this thing was just, just now happening. Insanity. So that would explain. That would explain all the bullshit. That would explain all the gaslighting. That would explain all the, oh, it's hysteria. Oh, it's depression. Oh, it's anxiety. Oh, it's your period. Are you, are you PMSing? Ha ha ha. Like it, it explains everything. And we're like a century behind on some of this shit. And I'm pissed that I won't get to live to see it, but I'm, I'm glad it's moving in that direction that more and more of us are being open about our experiences and about our identities because it forces people who are also undiscovered neurodivergent mm-hmm. to confront it in themselves. Because if I'm saying something and I don't use the words neurodivergent, ADHD, or autistic at all, and I'm just describing someone's innermost experience, they're going to listen to what I have to say. Like someone being objectively like validating them is such a unique feeling. And it's how I felt when I first found creators on TikTok. You actually are one of the first, when I found that I was autistic, your account was like one of my first 10 or 20 that I followed. I've been following you for a long time. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah. So like when you found me and followed me back, I was like, holy shit, I'm so happy. And like when you invited me on the podcast, I was like, oh my God, like it's a full circle moment. And I just, I haven't acknowledged that yet. And it just popped in my head. So thank you for everything you have done as well. Because you led me to a lot of realizations and unanswered unanswered questions from 28 years ago. So thank you for all the important work you do as well. Oh my goodness. Not me over here choking (laughs) up now. Oh God. We're both crying on the pod. Oh my God. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, that's that's been my mission for the last few yeah. years is once I realized that I didn't I couldn't hold it in anymore. I was like, oh my God, like this is happening to me. It has to be happening to other people. And mm-hmm. after finding the community on TikTok and on social media, I'm like, oh my God. So it isn't just me. I'm not just alone in this. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that, I'm like, we need to connect. We need to talk to each other. We need to share it amongst ourselves because like you just mentioned. 
there's still we have so far to go when it comes to having people understand what it really means and not just looking at neurodiversity, autism, and ADHD in particular through a stereotypical lens. That's what they're still doing right now. When they look at, when you say autistic, the immediate thing is they have a picture in their mind. I call it the face of autism. And it's that, Mm -hmm. you know, the good doctor uh, or Gilbert Grace or or Sheldon Cooper, all of them white Mm -hmm. males, all of them on extremes. There's either someone who is visibly, obviously what you think of as autistic or they're the good one where like you can use their uh, their hyper focus or whatever um, their special interest to your advantage, but they don't see the nuances of of the spectrum. And they definitely don't see women. They don't see minorities. They don't see the um, overlapping issues. Like if you have other intellectual disabilities, how that could play into Mm -hmm. it. And it's a giant uphill battle, but the work that you are doing in the space and that, and that I'm doing in the space too, is so freaking needed. And um, actually that brings me kind of to another question. When we're looking to the future, what are your hopes and goals for the disability rights and neurodiversity movement? Um, and how can, you know, people contribute to these causes or what, what would your call to action be? I should say that's how I'll uh, phrase it. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, hot take, I want disabled people to be believed our lived experience. I want us to be believed That's like at the root of all of this. People don't want to believe us for whatever reasons, you know, ableism, sexism, racism, any ism that any ism that, you know, my brain invalidates us um, Mm -hmm. that they're going to take it. They're going to take that opportunity to do so. I want disabled people to be accommodated and included instead of being an afterthought and Mm -hmm. oops, sorry, we'll maybe do something about that. Like thinking about just like accessibility in public spaces, period. Um, another, like that's that aspect compounded by SARS-CoV-2 still running rampant has made public spaces inaccessible for a ton of people, a ton of disabled people, a ton of immunocompromised people, a ton of high-risk people. But that interferes with other people's lives, other people's ability to exist in public and just not have to think about it anymore. And those of us who have had to pay attention have been screaming until our faces fall off that we deserve to be able to exist safely in public during this time. That has fueled me too. Just the rage of no one giving a fuck. But that, like if disabled people were taken seriously and accommodated, we would be a lot further along in the pandemic. I think we would be almost out of it completely if we just gave a shit about the next person that we see in public. I want other neurodivergent people and other late discovered disabled people and disabled people in general to feel empowered to voice their needs, but capitalism doesn't allow for that. So like it's putting a bandaid on a bullet wound. It's like, well, shit to fix a, you got to do B through F first and then G through L and then the rest. Like it's such a cascading avalanche and I wish it was as easy as just do this. Then this will be better. It's you got to dig. You got to dig down to the root of this shit, which is like you said, white supremacy, period. Oppression, theft, white supremacy are pillars, the foundational pillars of the United States. And all of the sprinkle of after effects that follow we're seeing. And and the more people like us speak up about them, 
the more of an opportunity we'll have to fall in the ears of someone who is also fed up with this shit and has reached a breaking point because, you know, working four jobs and not being able to feed your children is not enough. And they're sick of being gaslit by previous generations who worked part-time in a library and got to buy a house when they were 30. Like, it's just not the same world. It's not the same world. And accommodations for all of us should be met with sincerity and urgency. And those of us who need those accommodations should be able to safely speak up without facing ramifications like being fired or, or, you know, being shunned. Of course, there's laws that protect, but then it's a whole thing like, if you want to sue somebody for wrongful termination because you're disabled and you're disabled and you don't have the spoons, the energy, the ability to fight for yourself, it's an uphill battle. Trying to get disability benefits in this country is a is the unfunniest joke ever written. Because like in my home state of Virginia, the average disability payment, the average, mind you, a lot of people get much, much less, is $1,200 a month. And average rent is $1,400 a month. So already out the gate, the system tells you that they don't want you to fucking exist. So we've got to get past that first. We've got to get people to reconcile with the fact that disabled people not only exist, but they deserve to live. They deserve to live openly and proudly. They deserve to thrive. They deserve to have the career of their dreams, the job of their dreams, the family of their dreams, the life of their dreams. Like why, why put us on another rung from you. One, one in four U.S. people, people in the U.S. are disabled. I think that's a low estimate. I think if ableism wasn't so ableism-y, the number would be a lot higher and it'd be a lot more accurately reflected. Absolutely. <sighs> and rent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might just be restoking the fire because I'm about to come back in. Like, Go ahead. You, you, Go ahead. You're taking a lot of things. Like one thing, the person that came up for me was like, so many people, because of internalized ableism and also like internalized like these ideals of white supremacy and perfectionism and, and eugenics, like they dehumanize us like we don't even have uh, the right to exist without realizing that at any point you can become disabled. Bingo. Yeah, because I may yep. have been born yep. with my disability and other people may have been born with their disabilities. Doesn't mean that we just inherently are less human than you because you could be joining our ranks at any freaking time. COVID taught us this. How many people came out of this now immunocompromised because they got COVID? They went in perfectly healthy and now they have breathing issues. They have long, long COVID or whatever. Um, you know, yes. you or even becoming temporarily disabled. You break a leg and now you realize how hard it is to get around because there's no ramp at your at your office mm -hmm. building. Or, you know, there, there's so many things that like I get so fired up about accommodations because personally yes. one of the biggest things for me is so weird because um almost a year ago to the day uh was when I had to go out on FMLA LA mm. from my previous job that I eventually had to resign from due to ableism mm. um and them not accommodating mm. me to just be able to work from home I'd been in that job for almost six months almost six years um wow. was like the model employee had five different positions kept getting promoted, oh kept God. being used as the, the pillar of, that my work was often used as the example of what people should do. And I asked for one thing in the almost six years that I was there, which was to just be able to do my job from home. I didn't ask for any more money. I didn't ask for any more benefits. I didn't ask for any lightening of my workload even. I said, I am overwhelmed. I'm anxious. This working in an office, the traditional American office, 
has led to so much physical pain and anxiety in me that I can still do my job. I love doing my job, but I can't do it from here. Can I do Mm. it from home? And mind you, I live in Philadelphia. My boss Mm. lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And she said with her whole chest that my job can't be done from home. Right. So that's why I'm joining you on that soapbox because I have. Oh, my God. With fucking capitalism. It's all about keeping us in control and hierarchy and compliance and keeping people stuck in a system that makes you like worried about your day to day so much so that you don't even have time to look at what we're saying and, and like believing it. You're like, why do I why would I feel like people and this is maybe me giving people a benefit of the doubt or playing devil's advocate. But sometimes I'm feeling I get with most people, not all, because some people are bad faith actors. I feel like most people, they don't, they just feel tired and they don't, they don't have the mental like um, energy to expend to think about what we're talking about because their whole day is dealt with navigating these systems of oppression and not realizing that it's like affecting other people in different ways. They're just like, well, this is how this affects me. I'm going to figure out like why capitalism doesn't work for me, but I don't really care that it's not, that it's affecting you this way. And um, my hope is that with pe- like with us, you know, being staunch advocates and like not just talking about uh, autism itself, but like how neurodiversity and disability in general intersects with everything is going to help people yes. to like realize, okay, maybe I should take the time. I know I got, oh, I got bills to pay and I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. But the reason why I'm in this situation is the same reason why this disabled person isn't able to live or the reason why I am focused on, you know, my job is the same reason why this veteran that served our country is living in the streets. Like Mm. it it gets me fired up because I'm like, to me, it's so obvious, but it's like, how can we, you know, get people to really like to care? It's really about getting them to care. Yes. Oh my God. You're, (laughs) we, our brain, like our brains work so similarly. We're on the same page with just so much of this shit. Like the system has chewed us up and spat us out in different ways. And we've experienced different facets of that, but holy shit, it is such a universal experience because it is so universal. It's Mm -hmm. so it's everywhere. Like it's not just an America thing far from it. Like we, we are the worst. Like we are, you know, the The only developed country in the world. (laughs) Yeah. That says that food isn't a human right. Excuse me. Who gets to make that call? Uncle Sam? Why are we listening to him still? Why are we listening to 400 year old slave owners? Why? Hello. Can we move on? Can we move past that, please? Like, holy shit. It's exhausting. It really is. I, but going back to what we touched on earlier, I'm not afraid. Uh, I'm not going to let my fear of like uncertainty or being chewed up and spit out anymore keep me from my passion, which is challenging mm. the system and bringing these conversations to the forefront because they need they need to happen and people need to have this giant mirror held up to reflect back to them. Like, not only are you like actively participating in this, but a lot of the things I think that people don't understand is that they are. Um, unconscious participants in this system as well. Like to a certain extent, there are people who you're conscious to your actions, but I feel like so many Mm. people, it's just, they're on autopilot. They're just, this is the system. This is how we've been fed and that's it. Yes. Everything. Capitalism just, okay, here it goes again. 
American hyper-individualism and hyper-consumerism is designed that way. Simulation, 25-7. You ha- you're supposed to do this, do this, do this, and then have kids, and then do this with your kids and raise your kids. Like, it's hammered into us from school age. I wrote, I took up writing this summer, and I have a piece on Medium about this called Capitalism Was Always Meant to Die, because it is, because you can't have a system, an institution fueled by infinite resources and infinite exponential growth on a planet with finite resources and finite people and finite everything. But, oh my gosh, my cat is meowing outside. I'm sorry. I'm, I have okay. cats everywhere. I'm the, I'm the cat lady of my town. <laughs> They're the soundtrack. But, They're giving their yes. <laughs> They're the soundtrack to my life. They really are. I love them so much. Um, come on, brain. Ring it in. Talking about capitalism being bullshit. Okay, yes. From school age, we are conditioned to, I didn't realize that I went to school 40 hours a week my whole life until I counted it out as an adult. Eight to three, Monday through Friday, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three. That's seven hours, sometimes eight hours. Okay, 35 hours a week. But I'm seven, like fluorescent lighting that's brash, doing what we're told without question, being obedient. Part of my fucking thing with being undiscovered autistic ADHD is I was punished for asking clarifying questions my whole life. I was an itch in the system's craw from the time I was old enough to spit words out of my mouth. Like I've, I've never been one to go along just to get along. It goes against my soul fibers. I can't do it. Never could. Oh my goodness, <sighs> you just literally made my girl up. Like, I made the connection about like how schools conditioned us in a, in a couple of different ways that I'm about to touch on. But the basically work and work hours, I don't know why that didn't click for me, but yeah, they literally condition you from a, a, a young age for compliance. But it's not even just that, it's like um, standardized testing. Um, where yes. it's like, okay, this actually, you're, you're not teaching us to, you're not teaching to teach people how to think critically. You're teaching them to, mm-hmm. it's rote memorization. You're drilling into them. Mm-hmm. You're indoctrinating them with certain information, but you're not actually teaching them skills to help them think critically, to think for themselves, to question mm-hmm. anything. You're just like, this is what it is. You learn this. You internalize it. And then now you go out into the world and you view the world and you treat the world according to the things that we've indoctrinated into you. It doesn't foster original thought. It doesn't foster Mm -mm. independent thought. And because of that, Mm -mm. that, that, because of that, this is why people don't challenge the system. And when you do challenge the system, they automatically, it's like that cognitive dissonance, that that pain inside where it's like you're challenging the core belief of mine. But I can't really say anything to refute it because you're coming at it with facts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and refute your facts with my emotion and tell you how I feel like you're not right or how I don't believe Uh you. And there's a Latin phrase that I use all the time or that I think of all the time. It goes, I'm not quad non intelligent. And it means they condemn what they do not understand. So because Mm. they cannot understand it they automatically treat it like it's something bad. And you touched on that earlier when you were talking about like how people look at you like you're crazy because you're proud of being autistic and you talk about it early, like openly. It's like, mm-hmm. why? You're, you should be ashamed of being disabled. You should be going into the corner. You should be scurried into a classroom over on the side. Yeah, I don't you, should, you should go get cured. Like they don't, they can't understand that autism is not curable. They can't understand that the only thing that makes kids autistic are autistic parents. They can't understand that you can't catch it with a vaccine or with, I've seen, recently I saw an article. Yes. Uh, I saw it. Broccoli. Broccoli causes autism now. Did be you know that? I wasn't aware. For real. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Please be God. so serious. 
anything but the truth, right? Anything but the truth. Wait, the day of my son's autism diagnosis, he had broccoli for lunch. It must have been that. Like, Carol, <laughs> can we stop? <laughs> what is this? Ma'am, you're probably wow. autistic too. Let's just be real. Oh my goodness. I would have checked <sighs> on that too. Oh my goodness. So I know I brought up my family earlier, but like, um, so mm-hmm. my, I, my background, obviously I'm black, I'm black in America. And one mm-hmm. of the other things about intersectionality is like mental health is just not a thing in the black community. Right. But I feel mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. not even just in our community. I feel like overall it's, it's condemned. Right. So I'm saying this to kind of like use it as an analogy for broader society. Right. Because yes. like, mental health issues are not even considered firstly most of the things that end up being mental health issues are treated as behavioral issues and yep yeah and then so but because it's treated as a behavioral issue certain behaviors if they're not super disruptive or they may be even like beneficial they can see that oh that's just what everybody in our family does or oh no that's a good thing that you Mm -hmm. do that and it's like when you look back at it and you think about it, you're like, oh, like, no, these are autistic traits. I remember recently, um, unfortunately, like one of my friends, one of my good friends, um, his mom passed. Right. And um, I remember people were sharing so many stories about her and how much they loved her. And um, I didn't say anything to him and I don't want to. But I was like, after hearing all of these stories, I knew his mom a little bit while she was alive, but like mm-hmm. not as much as these people. and like. They were sharing the stories, and I was thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure your mom was autistic. I think he's autistic, too. But again, I can't really, like, yes. say these things. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure your mom was autistic. They kept talking about how she was a very particular woman. She liked her stuff mm-hmm. this way, and she always did this. And she, I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, but again, you try to say this to people, and it's like, no, that's just how everybody in our family is. Or, no, that's not a thing. Or, why you got to try to pathologize and put a label on everything? And it's like, because these yeah. these labels or understanding what the why behind the what help like yes. this, it's life saving it's real it's life literally yes literally life saving it saved my life one hundred percent saved my life yeah and like my family like I retroactively like you know had my ADHD realization, had my autistic realization. I was a crab without a shell for months, weeping every single day, processing my entire existence with this new knowledge. And then, <clears throat> you know, it took some time. I don't even want to put a time frame on it because t- I'm time blind. I, it could have been yesterday. <laughs> it could have been two years ago. And it feels like the same. But I, I came to like retroactive realizations that my mom is autistic. And I went through the same painful process of reframing my existence and reassessing my existence with that knowledge too. Not just Mm -hmm. me being autistic, but her too. And some of her actions and some of just, I didn't realize that I still had questions I hadn't answered and that answered them for me too. And I brought it to her attention and she I brought it to her attention in a way that wasn't me being like, hey, I think you're autistic. I brought it to her attention like, so here's what I experience. And this is very common for me. And this is called this. And this is what happens when this. And I found out recently that all of that is because I'm autistic. So like the gears were already turning. And then mm-hmm. when I said that I was autistic, she said, that sounds so much like me. Like you explained so much 
of what I've been dealing with for 64 years. Mm-hmm. And God, I grappled with it for like over a year. Like, should I even tell her? Because this process, I was like, whittled down to my nucleus. It was the single-handedly most painful realization necessary. It was necessary, and I don't take a second of it back, but that pain had to occur. It had to. It's, it's almost impossible to, to be undiscovered neurodivergent into adulthood and not be traumatized from it in some way, especially in the system that we live in. And how we're punished for existing and punished for being ourselves. Just, God, it's just so cyclical. All of it is so cyclical and so interwoven and so interconnected. Absolutely. And, you know, I I touched on it a little bit earlier. I have a similar experience with my mom. That's kind of how I approached it was I was just sharing mm-hmm. my story. Then she asked me questions. She's like, so could this be like this? And us sitting down and kind of exchanging I feel like she's closer. She doesn't claim it, but like she, if I like mention something, she'll be like, yeah. And you know, she also is like very open. She's not, I, I would say that I'm so happy that my parents have had the reaction that they've had. Cause neither one of my dad mm-hmm. and my mom, I don't think my dad's autistic, but I'm pretty sure my mom is. I think my dad may have ADHD, but that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but they have been curious. They've asked questions. And wow. I've seen that be a complete difference from almost everybody else in my life. I mean, my sister, and my brother. So I'll say my mom, my dad, my sister, and my brother, those four have asked questions and they always ask yes. me like, okay, so is this how this is affecting you? Or they're open to it. If I say like, Hey, I need to explain to you why I don't like this anymore or why I can't do this, even though I used to. Right. And that's different from broader mm-hmm. society. I feel like a lot of the times, as soon as you say, I'm autistic, that wall comes up and people just have an image in their mind and they're not curious and they don't ask questions. And then we perpetuate the same harmful behavior that 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 is um, inflicted against us because no one's curious and not asking those questions. And we're we're forcing it in their faces (laughs) with what we're doing. But I feel (laughs) like that's all I think that that's kind of how I'm going to nutshell it. I just want people to be more curious. I'm not asking you to do a million hours of research like I did. I'm autistic. This actually affects me. I'm not going (laughs) to expect that you're going to care about it as much as I do. But at least be curious. Mm -hmm. At least ask questions and not just like be like, oh, well, this is my assumption of you or this is my assumption of what's going on. And this is how because that's what we're doing. And it's and it's limiting us and it's keeping us all from like growing together. Yes. Yes. Like, no. A lot of these people don't realize that, like, it's not me seeing one TikTok and being like, oh, shit, that's me. I'm autistic now. It's <laughs> it's anything but that because my autistic ass qu- quintuple checking everything and then sleeping on it and then redoing it and relearning it. And, like, there's so much that goes into it. Why would we put ourselves through this for nothing? Why do people think that we want this to be true. It's just something that's true. We're just learning Mm -hmm. about something that has always been true. It's not like we're clicking our heels together and wishing, throwing pennies and fountains, wishing to be autistic. Not that there's anything wrong with it because there very isn't, but people just think that it's a train that we're all hopping on and they can't understand that it's almost like the advent of the fucking internet and social media and the advancements that we are making as a society at large has fostered these discoveries and is, Mm -hmm. is, 
responsible for these discoveries and responsible for the communities that are formed because of these discoveries. But it's so scary to claim it for the first time. Like the first time I went to put actually autistic in my bio, I was scared to death. I was scared to death. And that was still like internalized ableism, internalized people pleasing. Like I'm saying it with my chest on my bio. People are people going to think I'm a liar? Are people going to think I'm making this up? People, 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 fuck them. (laughs) What do you want, bitch? You want to stand 10 toes down and say, hey, I am autistic. These are my experiences as an autistic person. And whoever doesn't agree with them, (laughs) can fuck off. Because quite frankly, my experiences are not up for debate. My experiences are not up for, they're they're up for interpretation, sure. But (laughs) whether or not they happened, that's not up for debate. Whether or not they're valid, that's not up for debate. Absolutely. 100%. I have a question for you. Because yes. you touched on something that I actually learned about recently that literally I I almost threw up. And I'm not exaggerating. I almost oh threw up God. when I heard this. But then when I sat on it, I had some conflicting feelings about it. So I'm going to tell you about it. And then I'm going to ask your, your opinion on it. <laughs> so I was recently speaking to someone who is autistic and also really big in Silicon Valley. Like mm-hmm. been there for a couple decades. And they're like, they're, they're big name. They work with the top CEOs, right? Wow. They wow. told me, yeah, they told me that in Silicon Valley, at least, that an autism diagnosis is seen as aspirational. And there are a collective of people who are trying to be diagnosed as autistic. And my initial reaction was that <laughs> my initial reaction <laughs> was, confusion, <laughs> was confusion and disgust. And then also, like, I literally had, like, this churning in my stomach, like, what the fuck are these people doing, right? Yes. And then she had to explain this to me, right? It's horrible. We don't want people muddying the waters any further than it already is because we get, well, there's so many people who are actually autistic who get fake claimed a lot, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not, we don't want to support this behavior and we don't want to advocate for it. But the point that she made that made me think about it just a tiny bit was this. In Silicon Valley, if you have more people who are labeled as autistic, it's putting it in front of the people with the money and the resources to give us more access to possibly platforms, resources, information sharing. And I was like, so she said it's the right thing for the Mm. wrong reason or Mm. the wrong thing for the right reason. And that's Mm. hard for me to reconcile with because I'm always like, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because I'm trying to manipulate people into a specific end. Yes. In the world that we live in, that we were just talking about this capitalistic social, like this, this society that we live in in order to get the right thing done. And I'm about to start crying thinking about it. In order to get the right thing done, sometimes we have to do the wrong thing or we have to let the wrong thing happen for the right reason. So I, I bring that scenario because yeah. I would love to get your opinion on, on that. Like, how do you, how do you feel? Cause I'm still not even sure really where I land on that. I'm still trying to weigh yes. both sides. Yeah. Holy shit. I'm just still getting over the initial shock of um, people actually vying for this diagnosis um, for advantageous reasons. Like, I feel like that very much is the wrong thing to do 
for a reason that's not uh, for an important reason. I won't even necessarily say for the right reason. It is important, but like, just how about instead of, you know, if you're allistic trying to get an autism diagnosis for that reason, why don't y'all just hire autistic people? Why don't y'all just employ autistic people? But a lot of inventors, a lot of coders, a lot of computer whizzes are neurodivergent in some way. They have ADHD or autism or both. Like there are certain career fields that, that autists and, and, you know, ADHD years discovered and otherwise gravitate to naturally because that's just how our brains work. Mm-hmm. So I, mm, dude. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk to you about that one. But Please, it's, it's, no. Like, don't I'm be sorry. Like don't be me. sorry. It's, su- it's such a conundrum because, like, autistic people are far more fucking common than anyone wants to believe. And even if these people do get the diagnosis, I haven't seen statistics or photos or numbers or studies, but I could venture a guess on the percentage of these people that are white, cishet, male. Yet another oversaturation and dismissal entirely of other groups says perspectives of autism. Like, of course, autism needs to be understood by society. Of course, autistic people deserve to thrive and deserve to have platforms and deserve to have careers and, and, cha- and make change for society. But yet again, if it's just a bunch of white dudes trying to get the diagnosis for this reason, then it's more of their voice. And we already have so much of that. I already have so much of, well, you don't look like Freddie Highmore from The Good Doctor. You don't say Bazinga. You can't be autistic. Like, bitch, please. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like, you're exactly right. Like, we don't want to continue to perpetuate the stereotype that we're working hard to fight against. Um, so that, that, yeah, that's a debate I think I'm going to continue to have in my mind because I still don't know where I've yes. fallen on either side of it. Like, yes, do I want an increase in awareness, which could ultimately lead to an increase in funding and resources for us, of course, because it's desperately needed. Mm-hmm. But if it's being spearheaded and um, the face of it continues to be firstly, in, like the stereotype or is led by inauthentic voices, like, we're already fighting the battle that autism is largely defined by what all listed people consider to be deficits, as opposed to them yes. just seeing that it's a difference between our communication types. So if we let more allistic voices be the voice of autism, I just feel like that has the potential to like hold us back or derail a lot of the like progress that we are starting to make with with what we're doing in the actually autistic community so i don't know that's up for debate maybe if somebody listening has like something to interject (laughs) give like a third like um point of view or something but i don't know i really wanted to get your perspective on that because i found like it's like it's very much a um a portrait of america and capitalism that like people would steal from a marginalized community just to benefit themselves. That's very much a man. what we're known for. Yeah. Yep. That's our stamp on the world. And another thing about the diagnosis thing, like you can't fake a neurotype. You can't fake being autistic. So like if you're truly autistic, if you're truly allistic trying to get an autism diagnosis, what are you doing? If your brain doesn't do the bottom up thinking like I saw your TikTok the other day about inferring versus assuming and holy Mm. shit. Like, yes, just yes. No notes, like perfect. Like 
That's how my brain is wired. It doesn't mean I'm incapable of top-down thinking. It just means I'm more inclined and it's, by, it's, it's habitual and instinctual for me to infer and to gather information. So like if, if you're going against your own neurotype to try to get this diagnosis, that's fucked up. You shouldn't do that. But if you are in Silicon Valley and you're a developer and you happen to seek a diagnosis because you think it actually does fit you and you get that diagnosis, that's great for you and as, a, as an individual. But call me cynical, huh, just speaking from experience of being ground into bone powder here, but I have a feeling that all of these people exist in an echo chamber and they'll just, if it, if it turns out to be a bunch of diagnoses, a bunch of autistic diagnoses of a bunch of white dudes working in Silicon Valley, it's just going to, it's going to snowball into something that people unfortunately will be forced to to listen to because their voices are always by default uplifted the most. So it's God, it's such a fine line. I don't know where I land on that either. I want to be thinking about this shit for the rest of the night. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad I can leave you with something to ponder and please, I would yes. love to, to, to chat again and maybe we can like, absolutely know, hash it out. But before we go, what I wanted to do is where is there any projects or initiatives that you're currently working on, um, that you want to share. I know you actually just launched a merch line. I got to get my t-shirt. Um, but you know, what projects or initiatives that you're currently working on, um, that you'd like to share with us? Um, and yeah, yes. what can we expect in the future? Well, yes, I, I do have merch now. I started going through Teespring, but I'm actually moving all of my merch over to fourth wall because it gives, it, it's like a site by creators for creators and fuck capitalism. If I'm going to have to pave my way with shitty plastic spoons in order to make it on this planet, then I'm going to do it my way as best as I can. And mm-hmm. Teespring was just not the move. It was very corporate, very like capitalism and fourth wall. I have a lot more say like creatively and they pay their creators a lot better than Teespring does. So, you know, being disabled, not being able to work in public because I'm immunocompromised, that's great. So the merch is coming. It's still available on Teespring, but you'll probably want to wait for the fourth wall launch. I'm trying to get it out there. I'm wearing all the hats. I'm a one woman team and it's, I'm tired, but (laughs) (laughs) But right now, mainly I've, what I've been working on, like within my own community that I've built, like on Twitch and on Twitter and TikTok is addressing some of these inner child wounds because it's still just in the forefront of my mind all the time. So I host streams for the community twice a week and sometimes I'm playing games on there. Sometimes I'm reading books. Like right now we're reading through Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Lindsay Gibson. And that book, I deserve financial compensation for what that book has put me through. It (laughs) It is so painful. It cuts like a knife down to my core, but it's such necessary work, especially if you're undiscovered neurodivergent. I think I'm actually going to read chapter two tonight. I am streaming tonight at 9.30 PM EST, but I know it's, this is a podcast and we're not live, but I talk about that shit and I'm always learning more and sharing more while I don't have any like stamped individual project I'm working on. I have my hands in many things at, at once. So find me anywhere at potato with the number eight. I'm always talking about anti-capitalist shit, ADHD shit, even cats. I love my cats. I feature them everywhere. So y'all can find me and reach out and let's connect because your life experience is valid and important. And if your life experience resonates with a bunch of autistic people and you find that the TikTok is spitting out shit that makes sense to you and it's from autistic people 
then you it would behoove you to do some more research to make peace with that in your life and to talk to people who are at various levels of that, at various steps of that. And we have to help each other along the way. So I love my community. They're so awesome. They We take care of each other. We kick out trolls. We protect each other. And yeah, just come find me online, anywhere. <laughs> awesome. Tatum, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. This has been absolutely amazing. And I, thank, I you. thank you for your time and for sharing your story and your insight. Thank you so much, T. Like I said, you, you're one of my OG creators that I've been following on this stuff. And just this is a full circle moment for me personally. And I'm not going to cry, but holy shit, <laughs> I just can't thank you enough. I don't know about y'all, but I am still fired up. Like, ugh, I love Tatum. And I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as well. Um, I, I just can't thank her enough for sharing her experience and her voice. And like I even said during the interview, like I am so inspired by her unapologetic just way of being like, hey, I'm here. You're going to take it and what? <laughs> like, I feel like more of us need to be that way, especially when it comes to being unapologetic for being who we are. Like, we don't have to apologize for existing and being disabled. Like, we deserve to exist. We deserve to have a high quality of life just like everybody else. And we don't have to prove that we have the right to be here and the right to exist. So want to thank Potatum once again for joining me. And again, I hope you guys really enjoyed that. Make sure you go over and you follow her. You check out her work. All the links to her personal uh, work and her website and her social media will be in the description wherever you're listening to this episode. I want to thank you all once again for stopping by and spending a little bit of time with me today. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share this with others, leave comments, let me know what you think. I appreciate it. And make sure you come back next Monday when I will be joined by the lovely Morgan Harper Nichols. If you are a fan of poetry, if you are a fan of mixed media art, and if you are a fan of wonderful people, then you definitely don't want to miss that interview. And come back next week when I will be introducing a new segment called TikTok Therapy. You won't want to miss it. I love you guys. Stay up.